Well, good morning, everybody. Greetings to those that are out there in, in uh, video and audio land. So we're sad you're not with us this morning, but we've got some great guests this morning. It's awesome. We've had some fantastic singing. So we are in our second part of a series on how to overcome things that, you know, as you read through the Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus and even God in the Old Testament is always about transforming people, right? And about overcoming the issues in our lives, which, of course, none of us here have any issues in our lives, so this sermon probably doesn't apply, right? Anybody have any issues you want to volunteer out, you know? Um, I am a sinner. I'm, my name is John. You know, I'm, I'm here every week. So uh, we have challenges in our lives, things that hinder us that we want to overcome. And as we go through this morning in our second stage of our series, uh, there will be a lot of Bible verses, as we are a Bible-based based church, so I'll give you a couple to start with. If you want to be in 1 John 5, we'll be there, and then we will be in the book of Revelation, starting with chapter 2. So we'll start off with this. There's the story of a man that found a cocoon of an emperor moth. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an emperor moth. They're big, massive moths. And he took the moth or the cocoon home so he could watch the, the moth come out of the cocoon and then go off and fly. And one day he noticed that there was a small opening in the cocoon and he, know that this, he knew that this was the day that after a couple hours, the moth would be coming out of the cocoon and then set off in flight to go out into the world. But as the man watched this cocoon very slowly and the tiny little space in there got a little bigger and a little bigger, but not very big, he noticed that the moth inside the cocoon was massively struggling to get out. It just couldn't make this opening in the cocoon wide enough, fast enough to get out. So the man looked at it and it came to his mind that this moth was stuck. So with truly good intentions, the man decided to take a very tiny, small pair of scissors and he cut open the cocoon to help the moth. Well, after he cut it partway open, the moth emerged and came out, and he noticed that, you know, it had a large, bulbous body and tiny little wings, and he waited for this moth to pick up and fly, and it never did. It never flew. It spent its entire life with this massive, round body and these tiny, shriveled wings in this man's house, and it never flew once. And the man wondered, what was the problem? So he went back and he studied about emperor moths. And what he realized was that it is his intentions, his good intentions to help this moth get out through the struggle of coming out of the cocoon, he had actually disabled the moth. Because the way that God designed this birthing of the moth into a emperor moth was that in the cocoon, the moth was in there, and it had to press and push and slowly break open that cocoon. And what happened was, when it pushed and pressed and pressed and pushed, it would push the blood into its wings, which would expand its shriveled up wings, shrink its body, so that by the time it came out of the cocoon, its wings were full size, its body was reduced, and it could take off in flight. Well, just as that moth tries to reach that point of freedom, we have issues in our lives that we wish we could get rid of, right? We have struggles that we face, whether it's work or family or personal, and we wish that God would just come in with a little pair of snippets and burst open that cocoon so that without too much struggle, 
we could be freed. But here's the reality of how God does things sometimes. Do you know that when you and I are in struggles that God is working behind the scenes? That there are times that God does not take away the struggles in your life, in my life. And do you know why? Is it because he's a mean God and he wants to see you struggle and fail? Is it because he just wants to have a little fun? Or could it be because there's a greater intention? That through that struggle, God is teaching us something, moving in the background of our lives, moving in our spirits, causing us to have dependence upon him, that when we burst through that struggle of the cocoon, through Christ, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, we come out overcomers and stronger people. You see, oftentimes in the lives of Christians and non-Christians, we don't like to go through struggles, do we? I mean, it's not on our top 10 list that I know of. I haven't seen any surveys that everyone's like, hey, this week, I really want to go through a struggle. We like to avoid struggles. But there are times in our life when God allows that struggle because he says, I want you to depend upon me daily to get you through this. As we've shared before in messages that God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because today has enough mm -hmm. challenges of its own. God realizes there are challenges in our lives. And he realizes we are going through this transforming process to become more Christ-like day to day to day. But sometimes he doesn't take away the struggle because the struggle, struggle will make us stronger. Just like if you were an athlete in junior high or high school or college or you were in the band in that time. You went through drills and practices and you did it over and over again and sometimes it wasn't fun, but what did it do in your life? It made you better. So we began a new series last week uh, based on an article that an author wrote her first article put out, and she said, 52 life mistakes that I have made. And as the world read this article, they wrote into her all these 10,000 plus letters that says, oh my gosh, I can relate. I have made so many mistakes in my life that I wish I could change them. That compelled her to look at the top 10 issues in her life that were current. And she wrote another article, and she wrote it called the top 10 life mistakes that make us struggle most. She took all of the 10,000 letters that poured into her and she sifted through them and she pointed out 10 areas of people's lives that as they wrote in, they said, oh my gosh, I struggle so much here. I really have a difficult time here and it hinders me in my life. And what this author did as a non-Christian is she took these top 10 areas of her life and she said, you know what? I have time to deal with these, to face these issues and to overcome them. And we springboard off of that article in the fact that we as Christians, in the Bible, as we looked at last week, are called many things. Sons and daughters of the Most High King, overcomers, more than conquerors. And we read in the Bible, in John 10, 10, about this abundant life, right? And some of us sit back and say, where is that? I, I don't know where it is. Jesus calls us to overcome in that transforming power to make us stronger, to make us better, to make us more Christ-like. And so we look at this realizing that the one difference we have is one, we have salvation, and number two, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, the helper to help us overcome 
these troubles and issues. Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus calls his people to be active, not sedentary. To be active, to be goers and doers. As he says at the end of Matthew in the Great Commission, he says, go and do. And God's people are to be on the move. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a lake that only has water flowing into it and no water flowing out, but what happens to it? When water only comes in and nothing goes out, it becomes stagnant, right? On the other hand, if you have a lake that water is only flowing out and nothing's flowing in, what happens to it? It dries up. To have a healthy lake, you have water flowing in, you have water flowing out, and that's where God says, I want to transform your life. I want to have my word, my presence, my spirit moving into your life, and then I want you to go and do and bless others and serve with your spiritual gifts and serve with the things that God has given you so that way we have a healthy spiritual life because we have good things from God coming in and we're passing that on out and we're going and doing. Christians, here's the reality in our life. We have a choice in salvation. We have a choice of number one, we can go back and be in bondage to the things that entangle us. Whether it's an attitude, an addiction, a relationship, a thought process about a physical ailment, whatever it is, we can go back and choose to be in bondage to that, or what's the other option? We can choose to trust in Christ and the moving of his Holy Spirit within us and be free from that. Wouldn't it be nice to be free from those things that bind us and hold us back and hinder us and hurt us in our life? And that's what we're talking about. So 1 John 5, 4, we read this this morning in our verse for the day. This is our verse for the morning. It says this, For whatever is born of God does one thing. Do you know what it does? It overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And as we looked at last week, it's not about so much about having more faith, but it's about understanding how to use the faith that God has already given us. The amazing thing in the Bible is the Bible says, if you had faith as small as what? A mustard seed? You could do what amazing things? You could move mountains. So it's not about having more faith. It's about coming before God, going into God's Word, allowing His Spirit to speak to us, and learning how to enact the faith that God has already instilled in us. And it doesn't take a lot. It just has an understanding about how to use it. So 1 John 5, 4, God tells us that whatever is born of God, and the Bible says that you are no longer orphans, you are heirs to the kingdom of God in salvation. In other words, you are born of God in salvation. And if you are born of God, then you overcome the world. There's that word we've been talking about, overcoming. So God is telling us, you don't need to be held back and hindered. Because if you are of Christ in salvation, you can overcome the world. And that is the victory through the enacting of your faith. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Overcoming, again, does not mean that God suddenly makes our struggles go away, like an illusionist. Anybody ever like to see a good illusionist, like David Copperfield or someone? You know, 
let me ask you this. When you see the illusionist and that girl disappears, are you really fooled? Yeah, well, yeah. There's one of us in the room that's really fooled. She really thinks that girl disappeared. But what's the reality? The girl really disappear? No, she's hidden away in some trap door, right? Close your ears, don't listen to this. She doesn't like to know the magician's secrets, so. But then suddenly she reappears, but she was never really gone. But to the frontal eye, it looks like what? You made her disappear and you made her come back. Wow. Well, she could be enough taxes, right? But we know in the back of our mind she's never really disappeared. So that's not what God does. He doesn't suddenly just make your problems disappear and placate them and, you know, just deal with the symptoms. God says, no, I want to deal with the issues in your life. Because I want to take those issues, I want to transform them, I want to make you a victorious person, I want you to be an overcomer through your faith. And that will bring you perseverance long-suffering, endurance, which if you read the Word of God, says that creates perfection and completeness and maturity. And that brings us to that part of John 10, 10, where God says, in that overcoming, I want to give you the abundant life. And with the abundant life comes joy in all things and comes the freedom to not be burdened down by laws and legalism or burdened down by issues that face us because we know that in Christ we are are overcomers. And isn't that a message our world needs to hear today? Is that we can overcome through Jesus Christ? There are so many crazy things going on in the world. We were talking about some this morning where our government tries to, to lock us down and put us and confine us. And then there are other issues that we face and people are struggling. Right now, depression is at an all-time high because people are like, I'm stuck, I can't get out, I have no hope. And we're like, yes, but in Christ you do. Because the Bible says that when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. And there's no reason to be in bondage. Because Christ has set us free. And if the creator of all the universes can set you free, don't you think he intends for you and I to continue to be free? I do. I do. I don't think Christ wants us in bondage because he says, I freed you from that. I died at the cross and all those burdens and sins paid for at the foot of the cross and if you come to me in salvation and you grow your faith and allow the Holy Spirit to overflow in you then you'll truly have Christ likeness and enjoy life and that's what we're talking about you know if you read in the Bible the Bible talks about the armor of God right know about the armor of God, the shield of faith, right? That's a protective, defensive thing. But God also gives us his word, the Bible, right? Do you realize that in the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is really the only offensive weapon in the whole arsenal? Everything else is protective and defensive. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Everything else is defensive except for the sword of God, the Bible, the word of God. And so what we have to do as Christians to overcome these things is we've got to go back to what God has already given us in this spiritual armor and see that the sword is an offensive weapon to hold off the attacks of the evil one. Do you want to know how powerful the word of God is? Well, it's the only weapon that Christ used in the garden when he was tempted, right? 
when Satan came back and thought he'd be sneaky and crafty and throw and twist the word of God, what did Jesus do in return? He took that sword of the spirit, that weapon of God, the word of God, and spoke it back to Satan in defensiveness. Should have just crushed him. He should have. It would have made a much better movie. I would have loved it a lot more, you know. But again, he doesn't always take those struggles away from us. He allows us to go through him. So read with me. We're going to run through a bunch of verses in the Word of God to give us this offensive weapon to know what overcoming is really about and how effective it is in our lives. Revelation 2, verse 7, the second half of verse 7, says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Read down a little bit more in Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, the second part. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Revelations 2, 26, a little further down. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Turn over next chapter, chapter 3, verse 4. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Read down a few verses. Revelations 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God. Down a few more verses to Revelation 3, 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, and I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And finally, turn over to Revelation 21, a few chapters away. Revelation 21, verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What one word do you hear resonating throughout all those verses? <clears throat> overcome. God says, I want you to overcome the things that you struggle with in life. You are overcomers. And when you overcome, I will bless you and give you all these things. And I don't know if you were listening when we read through Revelation, but those are some pretty darn cool things to have when we overcome, right? It's like, wow. If I just enact my faith, believe God, take him in his word, allow the Holy Spirit to move in my life, take God in his word and apply his word and overcome, this is what God says he will do in my life. Do you notice that none of those things are negative? None of those are burdensome? None of them are hurtful? They're all positive and purposeful and powerful. We said last week that God does not make junk. But God creates people and moves in people's lives through salvation to change the world. We look back at just the apostles. Twelve men, are we still talking about them today after 2,000 some years? Common fishermen and tax collectors and other people that when they allowed God over the course of some three years to transform their lives, they literally turned the world upside down. And we still speak of them today. When we allow God to make us overcomers in our life, we have a purposeful God that gives us purpose and meaning and everything we need to do to accomplish what he's called us to do. And I believe that God calls us to overcome, to bless the world as well. Now, here's the dilemma for us. 
if we want to overcome in Christ, it's going to take some effort, right? Some personal part. We know that God does his part. We read last week that when God has began a good work in us, he will continue it until we see him in perfection. So God's not giving up on us. He's got our back. But that leaves us with that choice of coming to God and saying, Lord, I'm struggling here. I need some help. God, what would you have me to do with this issue? How would you have me to overcome? How am I hindering the Holy Spirit moving in my life? God, I got to know because I need to be transformed by you. I need to be this overcomer that you have called me to be. I need to run the good race to win the prize, as Paul put it. God, I want to be an overcomer in my life. How do I do this? So it's going to cost us initially up front because there are some things that we'll need to do, aren't there? We'll need to buckle down in the Word of God to dig deep and say, Lord, what do you say about this? We need to be in fellowship. As the Bible says, do not forsake the fellowship of believers because we sharpen and encourage one another. We bear one another's burdens. We need to spend some time in prayer just on our knees and on our face saying, God, I want you to transform me. I want to fulfill what you've created me to be. I want to do that ministry you've called me to do. I want to have that abundant life, that freedom you've told me I can have. God, I want you to train me to use the faith that you've given me. So the issue is it's going to cost us a little bit up front, right? We're going to have to do some personal effort. Well, the problem with that is we live in an instant gratification society, right? You don't have to do anything, and boom, it's there. I mean, Amazon, you plug your credit card in there, you put an order in, you hit a button, a couple days later, it's at your door. You didn't even have to leave your house, right? We have to go counterculture and realize this, that it's either going to cost us some effort up front to follow God, because as we read over and over again in the New Testament, when Jesus met men and women and he said, come and follow me, they had a choice to make to either what? Do it or not do it. Not everyone chose to follow Christ. The rich young ruler walked away with a sad heart because he couldn't give up what God had called him to do. He couldn't let his riches go because they were too much. But the apostles did. And it says they left their occupation, they left their family, they left all this stuff. Now, maybe God's not calling us that radical, but to follow Christ, you have to what? You have to get up from where you're at, take action, take effort, and move and follow him where he goes in faith, not knowing where he's leading you and trusting that he's going to lead you and I to a good place. So we can choose to follow God or stay in our sedentary place of doing nothing. It will literally cost us some up front of personal effort to draw near to God. But here's the deal, kids. If we do nothing down the road, years and decades, it will cost us more. It will cost us more. Wouldn't it be sad to look back 20 years from now and have this little sermon ringing through your mind and realize that 20 years from now, you have not grown in Christ? You've not overcome the issues that you were dealing with 20 years ago. They still haunt you. They still make you struggle. They still tempt you. Wouldn't that be a sad place to be? I mean, honestly. And that's where God speaks to us in his word and says, I want you to depend upon me daily. 
the whole reason why God gave the nation of Israel manna on a daily basis and told them not to get more was that we would come and learn to live and depend upon God how often? Daily. And then God says, once today is done, then I'll lead you tomorrow. But I'll always be there to lead you. Just trust me today. Allow me to transform your life. Take my word as truth and apply it to your lives. So, last week we looked at these two things on overcoming the issues in our life. Number one was, oftentimes we do not comprehend as Christians what we are fully capable of in Christ. Right? We come to salvation. We know our sins are removed past, present, and future. We know we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We know we are given new life and guaranteed a place in heaven. But we don't realize what we are fully capable of when we allow God to surge through us. Second thing we looked at was the fact that sometimes we have people in our lives that we associate with that we need to break that relationship because they're literally causing us to go into sin. They're literally causing us to leave and walk away from God and being tempted by other things. So there are very real relationships in our lives that sometimes we realize they are damaging relationships and we need <clears throat> to sever those relationships and walk away from them. It's a hard thing. But as God calls us, he says, come out and be separate. Come out and be holy. And what does light have to do with darkness? What does the ungodly have to do with the godly? We see that even God calls us out of that. Even in salvation. When we come in salvation, God pulls us out of a life of sin, out of being in the literal clutches of the devil himself because we are in sin and unforgiven. He pulls us out of that and makes us holy, set apart, back in a right relationship with God, and not being able to be overcome by the devil anymore unless we choose to. So God calls us out of those things. We look at two more this morning. Number three that we're looking at this morning is this. Letting your beliefs and fears about money stop you from living a full life. Anybody have any issues with money? Yeah, I don't have it, right? Could use some more. We looked, and when I, I told you about this author that wrote about these issues, that she had some real hang-ups about money. And you know, the church talks about money, and usually you think you're going to get a tithing sermon, right? Well, we're not doing that today, just so you can relax. We already did the tithing. It's all good to go. Um, our bouncer will be at the door to shake you down before you leave, but don't worry about that. Um, Jesus talks about money in the Bible over and over and over again. Do you know why? Because money is such a hang-up for most people. And for us growing up in American society... I mean, what society, what culture tells us is that why do we work and do what we do? To make money. And why do we work and strive harder more and more? To make more money. Why? Because money makes you what? Happy. Well, has it ever really made you happy? It hasn't. Jesus speaks about money because we have hang-ups with money, our mindset about money. The author of that article that 
wrote about how she dealt with the 10 issues in her life said this about money, about the 10,000 letters that came in. She said, literally more than 90% of the clients and colleagues I've connected with over the past 10 years and 10,000 plus letters have a challenged relationship with money or some form of money trauma from their past. These challenges, mindsets, fears, and blocks aren't all about scarcity. I've met scores of people who've earned or inherited millions of dollars and yet they don't feel like they deserve it. They feel terribly guilty about it. They feel like imposters. Others can't believe that a happier life or career are in the cards for them, despite having a master's degree or a fantastic credentials and experience, and others still dream of a better job, a better career, and livelihoods, but they sabotage their own growth because of an intense risk aversion and deep fear around needing security and safety for money. She writes, until you can untangle your money story and stop making money a ruthless god in your life, that you need to feed and worship daily, you won't achieve the dream of freedom. Wow, that's a statement, isn't it? Let me read that again. Until you untangle your money story and stop making money a ruthless God in your life, that you need to feed and worship daily, you won't achieve or dream of the abundant life that God has caused you problem or that God has promised you. Money can become an idol in our lives in one of two ways. Either it's an idol that we don't think we have and we have to do anything to attain it and get it because that will make us happy according to culture. Or we have gained money and like the men in the Bible that said, I've got so much, I'm gonna build more storehouses and save all my wealth for me. And God says, tonight your very life will be required of you. We hoard money and we don't let it go. There's an interesting thing that happens with money. When we have it, we spend so much time thinking we need to protect it and not just protect it, but keep it to ourselves and grow it. For who? For me. Money is a resource, no different than a spiritual gift or something else that God has given you. But we live in such a materialistic society that we get the hang up of either making money an idol, a God, that as the author said, we need to feed and worship on a daily basis in one of two ways. Either we hoard it and we won't share it, kind of like Scrooge in the Christmas story, or else we're always seeking after it, that that's the goal in life. We have to get more and more. Money is a resource. Money is a tool that God says, I'll give you much or little, but it all comes from me, but I want you to use it in a wise way. And how is that? God says, I want you in faith to give some back to me, to show your dependence upon me. God says, I do want you to save some and be good stewards of what I have given you. You know, read the, we read the story of the talents in the New Testament, that God says, I want you to invest and store some and have some, but God says, I also want you to have some to bless others. In the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, he goes, I don't want you to be the ones taking out the loans. God says, I want you to be the ones providing the loans to show the goodness of God. 
in Luke 16, 13, or you can turn to Matthew 6, 24. Jesus makes the same statement twice in both Gospels. He says, you cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You're like, well, how do we serve wealth? Well, just like we talked about, either you have it and you hoard it and you won't share any of it, or you're spending your entire life striving after more, more, more of it. Because we think money will make us happy. Does money make you happy? Ask the lottery winners after five or six years. Most of them have gone bankrupt. They've lost their family. They've lost their friends. Most of them are in worse financial condition than they were before they won the lottery. Only a few actually survive that amount of money. Because if you can't handle it when you have none, how are you going to handle it when you have a lot? That equation, that math doesn't work. Biblically, God says, I am giving you money and things to bless you. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of stuff or being rich. Please don't understand. I'm not saying, oh, it's evil to be rich. That's, there are rich people in the Bible, and Jesus associated with them. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money or a lot of material possessions. But God says, I'm giving, to you, giving them to you for a couple reasons. One, for you to enjoy them and to use them in the way that I've called you to. Two, to bless others with them. God says, I want to give them to you to bless others. And however that may mean. To give a drink to those that are thirsty. To give food to those that are hungry. To give medicine to those that are ill. But it's just a resource. It's a tool. It's nothing more. So I don't care if you're rich. <clears throat> I don't care if you're poor. But we need to change our mindset of money so that we don't make it an idol that we're feeding and worshiping every single day by hoarding or by striving after to overcome these issues in our lives. And does money make you happy? Some people say it does. Here's my challenge if you think money makes you happy. I challenge you to take your money, buy a ticket, go down to Tijuana, Mexico to the dump. Well, that sounds like a great vacation, doesn't it? Tijuana, Mexico to the dump. Do you know what you'll find in Tijuana, Mexico at the dump? You will find a group of people that have no money, so much to the point that they go out and they take the pallets and they take the tin and they take the cardboard and they take whatever they can find, the, the leftover pieces of wood from construction, and they build these mock huts and they live with them and they find a drum or a barrel in the trash and for a peso, a truck will come up, it will suck the water straight out of the river, it won't filter it, but it'll suck the water out of the river, and it, you, they will fill your bucket or your drum so you have water. And then you'll scavenge for food. You know what the crazy thing is about these people that have no money? They're happy. They feel blessed for what they do have. They're not running around crying about, oh my gosh, I wish I had a financial advisor. Oh, oh my gosh, I wish I had another million in the bank. Do you think that when you come to Jesus, that day when either you die or he returns, and he will look at you and say, 
Man, why didn't you earn some more money? Why didn't you stash more money away? No, what he'll say to you is, when you saw somebody hungry, did you feed them? When you saw somebody thirsty, did you give them drink? When you saw somebody in need, did you help them? Because I gave you all that money and that stuff to be a minister to them, to meet those needs, not to be an idol in our lives. So some of us need to go back and realize that our thought process about money is managing us instead of us managing our money. So again, it's not wrong to be rich or have a lot of things. There's nothing biblically wrong about that as long as you're not making that wealth an idol and hoarding it. God wants us to be good money managers with the money that he does give us. To some he gives a lot, to some he gives a little. But he does say, I want you to be good money managers. And he goes, I want you to trust me with your money. Because the New Testament says that all good things come from the Father above. And the Lord giveth, and the Lord can take away. But if God gives us a resource, a tool, just like a spiritual gift, is it meant to be used just for us? No. It's meant to bless others. God gives us spiritual gifts in the fellowship that we, because we have a place to fit in, that fits a need that is a purposeful place that we bless the rest of the church. Spiritual gifts aren't meant for us to hoard and hold on to. They're meant to bless others. Money is a resource that we are to be good managers of. It's okay if you're rich, but it's a resource to minister to others. The Bible also says that to those whom much is given, much is required. So if God's blessed you with a lot, oh, God bless you. I'm glad you're here today, right? But if God has blessed you with a lot, then God has great things for you to do with those resources he's given you. If you have a little, that's okay. That's wonderful. God bless you. But be good stewards of that little and use some to bless others. Don't allow whatever God has given you in material possessions or wealth to become an idol in your life to either hoard or seek after with everything you've got. Because the Bible doesn't say that salvation comes through great finances. The Bible says that salvation comes through the only begotten Son of God in Jesus the Christ. That's where salvation comes from. The Bible doesn't say money will make you happy, but it does say it, does say it can become an idol in your life. So one of the issues that we need to overcome to be free is realize what God says about money and wealth and resources and how God wants us to use that in a ministerial aspect to meet the needs of others. You know, I find it crazy that the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus having money. In fact, it talks about him not having a lot of money. But what he did have, he blessed others with. He went and he had the ability to heal, so he healed. He had the ability to, to, to make the blind see, so he did that. To cleanse the lepers, so he did that. To forgive sins, so he did that. What his Father in heaven gave him, he used to bless others. And that's where money should be in our lives. Not something to strive after that will supposedly make us happy, but as a resource to minister to others. Make sense?
Fourth thing we want to look at, and we'll close here with this one. Oh, by the way, 2 Peter 2.19. I missed a verse. This is a good one. Mark this one in your Bible whenever you're struggling with money. 2 Peter 2.19-20 tells us this. For by what a man is overcome, he is enslaved. The Bible calls us to be overcomers, not to be overcome. But by what we are overcome, we are enslaved. And the fourth issue that I think we need to deal with in being overcomers is a personal one. It's the issue of comparing ourselves to others in a way that crushes our confidence in our life. Comparing ourselves to others. Now let me state this. Healthy competition is good, right? The old adage that I've seen with my boys growing up is that everybody gets a trophy. doesn't work in real life, does it? If you do nothing, you get nothing. It's the law of reaping and sowing. Remember what you plant, you receive later in the harvest? Healthy competition is good if we do it for the right reasons. In fact, Paul goes on and compares the church of Corinth with another church to say, hey, look what these guys are doing because they're allowing my spirit to flow through their presence in their fellowship. You guys should be doing that. So healthy competition is good, but we're comparing and competition doesn't come in very well is when we compare ourselves to other people and we feel beaten down because well we're not as good as them or they do something better than us or I want what they have that kind of comparison brings us down but it's a big issue in our culture and our society especially in the United States that we need to compare ourselves with others at work and beat them have more. We need to be like our neighbors that, well, they've got three ATVs and a, you know, two campers and 19 RVs and a brand new shiny Audi and Mercedes Benz. I need to be like them. Well, Christians, let's break this thought process now that you need to be like them, or as the old way put it in the 50s, you need to keep up with the Joneses. God has created you in a very unique and special way, and it's a specific purpose for you in life, a specific place in life. He has placed you in a place where you are at the crossroads of life, where you are intersect with other people, certain people, to be able to minister to them. So where you are and who you are is just fine. I said earlier in the message, God does not create what? Junk? So God has created you in a certain way, and he's transforming you because he loved you enough to accept you the way you were, but he loves you enough to make you be transformed more and more to his image. But God is doing that as we seek him. God is doing that. You are just fine in the way that you are. You don't need to be like other people to be good. When we worked with the men's homeless shelter, they would go out of the year and a half of recovery program. The one thing they were not, were not allowed to do in that program was to date that year and a half. Well, the men would come out and you know what their biggest struggle was in life after the program? After they had gone from addiction to success and overcoming? Well, if I just had a woman in my life, it will all make me perfect. Well, if you're still struggling, Typically, the kind of woman you're going to find is a struggling woman, and when you put two struggling people together, you have mega struggle. And it brought them down. When we compare ourselves to others with the mindset that I need to be like them, 
and it makes us feel guilty or bad, God doesn't want you to have that attitude. God wants you and I to see through the eyes of Christ as Christ saw people, where when he looks at you and I, he sees who we are becoming, who he is perfecting, who he is transforming. He sees a sinless man or woman, a man or woman with faith to do great things, a man or woman with a purpose and a ministry, a man or woman who brings the love and the light of Christ to the world. That's what Jesus sees. Jesus never looks at you or I and says, hmm, dang, you've got a flaw there. Man, that's messed up. You should go get surgery for that, right? Wow, you got a bad attitude problem. Jesus sees the goodness in us and who we can become. We are the ones that nitpick against each other critically like, well, yeah, look at you. Oh my gosh, where did you get that attitude? We're the ones that could be nitpicky. You change that attitude. Good comparison is good, but comparison for the sake is this. For am I now seeking the favor of men or God? Whose favor are you seeking? Or am I striving to please men as if I were st still trying to please men? I would not be a bondservant of Christ. God wants to change you and I to see us in his image. Psalms 18.3 says this, As for God, in his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is, fall, is flawless. His shield is for all those who take refuge in him. And we go on to reread in Psalm 139.14 says, I give thanks to you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Do you hear that? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no negativity in that verse. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And then we struggle with that, go, well, what about my weaknesses in life? You know, spiritually, your weaknesses are good. Do you know why? Because they cause you and I to depend upon God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10 says this, As he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For God's grace is there. It's an, we need to work to I find it. I haven't seen it. It's there. I'll work with you to find it. Why hasn't he healed me? Maybe there's a bigger purpose in that. Sometimes, he, sometimes going through a sickness and how we go through the struggle is a witness to the rest of the world. And sometimes God chooses not to heal us, to be that witness of our strength and our faith in Christ. Pretty late in the game. We'll go through it with you. It's hard. Yeah. I haven't seen the promises. I know the word. Yeah. It's there, and we'll go through it with you. We'll pray with you right after church. We'll see what the issues are, and we'll stand with you. Because God's grace is sufficient. I just saw my ex-girlfriend with another man. I'm thinking about doing something very bad. It's a real thought. Yeah, it is. But God has given you the strength to overcome even that thought. That hatred, that jealousy, that anger. Yeah, well, she was a gift. Mm -hmm. The challenge is we are all sinners filled in a world of sin, and we all fail. I'm tired of failing. Yeah. But you're not a failure in Christ. 
that's what this series is about because we see ourselves just like this when we look at others we see ourselves with that fact that I don't see God's grace his grace isn't sufficient but it is because his word is true we just have to see it through Christ's eyes and what he's doing to be overcomers stick around Justin I don't want to stick around okay that's your choice but if you do You've got my word, we'll pray, and we'll go through it together. Because we're never meant to go through these struggles alone. That's what fellowship is about, my friend. Well, that's why I'm here. And I'm we glad you're here. great choice to come here. I firmly believe, and we preach this from the pulpit, that when God brings us to a spot in our life, it is God-ordained for a reason. He has I'm tired of living in deception. Mm -hmm. I'm living in deception. Mm -hmm. We can break that through God's word and through fellowship. It happens. I can go through all the struggles in my life I've gone through, and God has helped me to overcome all of them. The ones I haven't overcome are typically my own fault because I haven't trusted God in that place. Give us just a minute, Justin. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Christians, weakness isn't bad. Do you know why? Because in that weakness, that's where God says, come and depend upon me. Come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. And we know when we're weak and heavy laden and burdened down, it's heavy and we don't think we can see a future to hope, but it's there. It's there. Last verse of the day. Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Here's what God speaks to us about dealing with these issues and comparing ourselves to others. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Because when we dwell on the hard things, the world seems overcoming and it's burdensome. And God says, dwell on the good. Dwell on the good. So if you're here today, I think God's got you here for a purpose. I pray that God has blessed you and is ministering to you or is starting to minister to you. I think that you're in fellowship, that you're bold enough to come to church. And I pray that God ministers to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you. Lord, I especially pray for Justin right now that you would truly minister to his heart in this time of pain and ache, that you could minister through us to help to speak to him, to give him that peace that passes all understanding, to deal with the, the hatred, the anger, and most of all, the hurt that we receive from others. To trust in you that you are the healer, that, Lord, you have healing for him and for us. We give you this time. We seek your word. We seek your blessing. We seek your healing upon us to transform us into your likeness. In Jesus' name, 